This episode is sponsored by Bonterra. Bonterra is a social goods software company focused on powering those who power social impact with best-in-class fundraising, engagement, program management, and CSR solutions. By bringing together intuitive technology and social impact expertise, Bonterra enables unmatched connectivity between organizations and their communities of supporters and constituents, ultimately creating more ways for social good organizations to maximize their impact. To learn more about selecting the right tech for your nonprofit, go to www.jcsocialmarketing.com slash Bonterra. That's jcsocialmarketing.com slash B-O-N-T-E-R-R-A. Thanks and on to the episode. Hello and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. So excited to have you here today listening. I'm your host, Julia Campbell. Um, Today's topic is elevating community engagement. Now, this topic is relevant to you and your organization, whether or not you have members, whether or not you're an association, whether or not you have an engaged community or not, it's going to give you some new ideas and inspiration for how to create memorable experiences and deepen relationships with the people in your community. And the question that we're going to answer today is how do we increase this engagement when environmental factors work against us? And I'm really excited to welcome Amanda Lee Kaiser. And Amanda is a keynote speaker, and she's the author of Elevating Engagement, Uncommon Strategies for Creating a Thriving Member Community. I actually really love that title. I meant to tell you before we started recording. Uncommon strategies. I love it. So you can buy this book anywhere books are sold. I will put the link in the show notes. Um, Amanda was lovely enough to send me a copy. Through her research, Amanda's at the forefront of exploring how member and attendee engagement is rapidly changing within professional communities. So welcome, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julia. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm thrilled. And I know you've got a really busy speaking schedule, so I'm so glad you could be here. But how did you get started in this work that you're doing? And how did you get started working with memberships and associations specifically? Yeah, yeah. So I have one of the squiggly careers like a lot of people. And and so I was I was in marketing for a long time. I worked for a toy company in marketing. And then I started at Crayola, so Crayola Crayons Markers. <gasps> Yes. And then I worked my way up uh, at Crayola in marketing and managed the Crayola brand and did another hop at an ad- advertising agency and then finally landed as a director of marketing in a national professional association. 
And I, I loved the community. I just, I love associations and, and nonprofits. They're so collegial and kind and lovely and smart and thoughtful. And when I started my business, I knew I wanted to work with associations. So I started a qualitative research agency. There's a lot of quantitative survey-like research agencies out there, but not a lot of qualitative. Mm-hmm. And through that experience, I got to interview 477 members who are also professionals uh, of, in all different kinds of professions and all different kinds of, of industries. And what I realized talking to these folks is they, they felt engagement, like engagement for them was a feeling. But when, when we talk to people who are trying to engage other people, we talk about it as a strategy and, or a tactic. And so there's like this gap, right? There's a gap between what our business needs are and what our human needs are. And, and that's what I've been trying to bridge. That's a really great way to put it. I think that's a perfect way to sort of phrase the work. I know that a lot of my listeners and a lot of organizations I work with do struggle with this. So you wrote this book, um, and I think that a lot of people might look at it and say, oh, I don't have specific paying members, but who did you write this book for and who can benefit from it? I'm glad that you talked about paying memberships because there are all different kinds of members out there. There's community members, right? And then there's dues paying members. And then there's people who are sort of on the periphery. And, and this book is really for everybody. So if you think about engagement as kind of like a ramp, you know, when we first are exposed to a organization, nonprofit, for-profit company, brand, you know, whatever, we're not that engaged. We're sort of like in that stance of, are these people like me? Is this a brand for me? Is this an organization for me? And then slowly over time, there are like these little decision points where we make this go or no-go decision to engage. And what I found in my research is there's, there's definitely places where organizations tend to throw up barriers. Mm-hmm. And I like to talk about how you boost people over that barrier, over the fence and get them to engage next. I love that. No go or go right. because I'm a huge fan of Seth Godin. I'm sure that you are as well. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about building a community where people say, you know, people like us do things like this. Like you know, you're in the right place with people that share your values and ethics and beliefs. And you know that immediately you kind of vibe with this community or, or that this is going to be a great experience. And what I thought was so interesting about something that you wrote in the book, people are looking for reasons not to engage because that's sort of our brain protecting us from, you know, spending too much money or getting hurt or not having enough time to do things. So we're actually looking for reasons not to engage. We are also looking for reasons to engage, but a lot of people might have, you know, that first instinct where they say, this is a no-go. And I think the book is great for giving us strategies to really eliminate that almost like buyer's remorse, if you will. I'm so glad you talked about that because the first impressions are so key, right? You can't have long-time engagement without first having newcomer engagement, right? right? People aren't going to come back to your events, you know, twice, five times, 10 times if they didn't like the first event. And so 
So it's really interesting. I, I did a lot of research on the research, the scientific research out there on first impressions, because mm. I'm so curious about this. When I was doing the interviews, people talked about their first impression experiences. In fact, when I would talk to a really engaged, even a 20-year member, and I would say, when did you first engage? They'd remember that first impression they had with their organization. And, and so the, the funny, the interesting thing for me is when they started talking about first impressions. I was thinking, okay, it's the first time they went to the webinar. Or it's the first time they went to the conference. But no, their first impressions were of their first impressions. So the first time you go to the conference, you start getting first impressions of the conference before you even go. So oh, all yeah. of the onboarding emails, those are first impressions. But the thing that people came back to over and over and over again is the registration table or the oh. reg registration desk, right? Uh -huh. So, so here's, here's like that example about, you know, business and human need. So in our business, it is our job to get everybody their program and their bag and their lanyard and their badge. That's what we have to do. We've got to, we've got to execute that transaction. But what, what people, attendees or members or your community remember is how you made them feel in that very first moment. And, and so it's, it, I almost can't say it enough. Like, you know, people are deciding if they're going to like your event at the registration table. Absolutely. Oh, there's just so many examples. I think of even my daughter, she goes to a sleepaway camp in August, every August. And what they do is they pair older campers with younger campers. So right off the bat, they've been emailing, they've been texting, um, they've been talking, you know, what do you really need to pack? What do you, so they, it makes them feel welcome because you don't want to show up the first day of camp and just not know where to go and not know anybody and have no clue what's going on. I mean, that's not going to create a good experience. And all of this actually translates into fundraising. And what I talk about, how are you treating your donors? Is your website, is it easy to navigate? Can you make a donation in a couple of clicks? What happens after the donation? Do I get a welcome email or does it just kind of go into the ether? What's that experience? And you ask all of us, you know, we need to shift into the mindset of a CEO, what you call a chief experience officer. So can you explain uh, what this is and how we can start this mindset shift? Through all of those years of conducting research, I realized that the formula to engagement is a two-parter. It's value plus experiences equals engagement. Yeah. Most organizations, and I'm not even talking about nonprofits at this point, but if you look around the world at for-profits and nonprofits and small organizations and large organizations, we treat value as if it was synonymous with engagement, but it's value plus experience equals engagement. And the experiential part is the part that most organizations, and again, I'm not talking about just nonprofits, but everybody almost everybody is missing the experience part. Mm -hmm. And so I've been inviting, I've been actually running around from keynote stage to keynote stage, inviting audiences to become CEOs. And by the end of the keynote, we, we are CEOs. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, a chief experience officer has a particular mindset where experiences are the focus. So the book talks about, you know, how you how you get to be a chief experience officer. And fairly quickly, like I like to think of the book as, a very short, you know, two, two and a half hour read, but it's power packed with hundreds of ideas for you to become a chief experience officer. And, and the other thing about being a chief experience officer is 
anybody in your organization can become a CEO. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be just the CEO. It doesn't just have to be the marketers. It's everybody. Almost everybody in a nonprofit is is actually donor facing or member facing or mm-hmm. attendee facing. And so we should all become CEOs. That's such a fantastic point. I worked at a domestic violence shelter for a while and the receptionist was not the friendliest person when I first started there. And I remember people would call and she's the first line of defense sort of for everybody, or they would come very well-meaning people would come with like bags of clothes or toys or things to donate. Cause they know that we, we run a shelter and we run a children's program. And what I would always say, and my desk was actually in a separate building, which was completely different experience, but I would always try to say like, look, you know, even if we are really stressed, we're really busy, just think about the first impression you're giving to this person who's trying to make a difference. Even if we can't take the stuff, even if, you know, we are overloaded and overwhelmed and incredibly, you know, stressed out at the moment. So I always would try to impart to everybody because I was a development director. So I know if a donor, it doesn't matter who the donor talks to, if they don't like that interaction, then they're not going to have that feeling. They're not going to have that emotional connection to the organization that's going to make them deepen their relationship and become a long-term donor. So can you briefly review the six stages of member engagement? Like we don't want to give too much away. We want people to get the book, but... What are the six stages? I love this framework. I love a good framework. So my listeners know I love I love a good list. I love a good framework. And I love a good journey. And I think this is a great example. Yeah, this is this is the hero's journey. Yeah. yeah. So so the first stage is observe. So a new member, or even you, you can apply this to just about every audience you have, whether it's a, a member or a volunteer or an attendee or a customer or client or whatever. So the you know the the first thing that people are doing is they're observing, and that is that you know that question. They're starting to like they're looking at everything. They're looking at your website, which you mentioned, Julia. They're looking at your collateral material. They're mm-hmm. they're looking at things like. You know, how aesthetic is this? Does you know, does it appeal to me? What is the tone like? And they're picking up on all of that stuff. They might be observing the person at registration uh, or at reception, you know, all of that observing. So first is observe. Second is assess. So now they're taking all of their observations and they're starting to layer on some judgment. And that's where they're asking that question. Are is this community of people people like me? Or do people like me? join or do people like me donate to a cause Mm -hmm. like this? That's that question. Next is participate. So it's like a little dip their toe in the water. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have an online community forum, it's maybe answering a question or maybe reposting on something on social media, or maybe during an event, it's just raising your hand and asking a question. Contribute is a bigger participation. That's step number four. So contribute is when they're starting to do something that takes a little bit more time, like they decide to speak at your event or MC your event or introduce a speaker at your event, it could be writing a white paper in the case of an association. Fifth is collaborate. And collaborate is one of my favorites because that's where people start making friends Mm. And in collaborate is, is getting together as a group and solving problems. So it could be coming together for a shelter and painting 
or, or for a school and painting classroom walls. Or it could be coming together like in an incubator, you know, kind of situation to solve a big problem. And then finally is lean. So that's the sixth step. And that's what you would call the volunteer area where people are starting to think about volunteering their time and their ideas and their money and leading, maybe leading an event or a group or something like that. So those are the six steps. Oh, amazing. And would you say that, I mean, really a lot of people don't take all of those steps, but you want to encourage as many people as possible to take that entire journey. Yes, exactly. Some people are going to skip steps and some people are not going to make it all the way. And some people are going to zoom through all of the steps in a couple of days. And some people are going to plod through all of the stages in 15 years. The key is, is just to know where those no-go decisions are so that you can remove those from the way you're doing business Mm -hmm. and give everybody that opportunity to take those steps if they want to take them. The other thing that I found in my research is, especially for sort of new attendees or new members, people who are newcomers, sometimes the volunteers, they're burnt out. So the Mm -hmm. volunteer and organization gets really burnt out and they, and they see some new blood And they're, and you know, so somebody, you know, comes into a meeting, they haven't seen them before. And before they know it, they're saying, oh, have you thought about being on the board? Well, that newcomer is saying, oh, oh no, I I don't even know who you people are. Right. right? So if we try to push them through the stages too fast, then that's not okay. So I think it's, it's about letting them move through the stages on their own time, but just making it easy to do that. What are some ways that we can create these kinds of experiences and, or even just improve these kinds of experiences for our stakeholders. I like to recommend that anytime you've got a transaction, so Mm. a transaction can be the receptionist answering the phone. It could be getting that badge into the hands of your attendees. It could be sending an email. So we have like, you know, a million transactions that we're all doing every day. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you find yourself doing a transaction, uh, think, think, how do I want the recipient to feel? Mm-hmm. How do I want the attendee to feel? Or how do I want the person calling reception to feel? How do I want the person reading my email to feel? And this is something that you can try with your very next email is, okay, how do I want the reader of this email to feel? You know, happy, hopeful, excited. Mm. And when you start asking yourself that question and start naming the emotions you want them to feel, it changes the tone that you're using and it changes the tactics you're using. So whenever you ask that question, how do I want them to feel? You're automatically adding in that experiential part. And, yep. and so this is something that I use all the time every day because I like to, you know, think of myself as a CEO, but it's also a super, super strategic question. So the next time you're in a board meeting and you're talking about your next event and, and, you know, maybe energy for the event has waned. One of the things that you can start to layer on is, okay, folks, how do we want our attendees to feel? Mm. How do we want prospective volunteers to feel? How do we want our volunteers to feel? And when you start asking this question, the strategies and tactics and answers that come from that question will lead you to experiences. And experiences are really, they're the things that excite your community and and really make communities thrive. 
This is so important because it all goes back to sort of like having empathy for your members, having empathy for your audience and not trying to kind of force your agenda onto this group of people. (laughs) And I know when either donor engagement, member engagement, or event registrations, if they've plateaued, I think the tendency is to go into this hyperactive hamster wheel mode where we just are sending out more emails or we're getting more frantic or we're bombarding our board members with more requests. Um, So what if our engagement is plateaued? You recommend asking these questions and then maybe trying some new strategies to to ramp it up? Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what's happening most of the time right now. So remember I said that the formula for engagement was value plus experiences equals engagement. Yes. And so I think when people are sensing that hamster wheel, when they're when they're like, oh, things have plateaued or they're on the decline, what we tend to do is we tend to add more value. Okay. So so now with our event, we're going to make it two days instead of one day. Now we're going to have more speakers. Now we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a champagne reception. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And so at some point, it doesn't matter if, if you really add more value, right? You're, you just keep increasing expectations. You're adding more value. It starts to, it gets to be costly for your business. And so the nice thing about experiences is experiences are inexpensive. You know, so they don't have to be. Uh, you know, you look at some of the masters of experiences like Disney and Trader Joe's. You know, everybody can think about the brands and the companies and the organizations they love. And mm-hmm. likely those organizations, they've got, you know, their staff, they are CEOs. They know how to create, in, you know, experiences. So Disney is spending millions and millions of dollars creating experiences because their volume is huge, right? They've got 60,000 people marching through the gates of the Magic Kingdom alone, mm-hmm. it, you know, and they've got all those parks everywhere. So their their volume is just ginormous. But one of the things that I like to think about is sometimes the the smallest, teeniest little hole-in-the-wall restaurants that do some wonderful experiences. Yes, and then sometimes the really expensive ones kind of blow it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, and that gets back to value. Some You can add on, you can layer on value, 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 value. Now, value has to be there, right? But Mm. adding more and more and more value doesn't necessarily get you to engagement, but experience. I think of our favorite pizza place. It is called Santarpio's. It's in Peabody. If anyone lives around here that's listening, it just serves pizza, nothing else. It doesn't have calzones or ravioli or salads, or I think it actually does have one like garden salad on the menu, but it's very simple. It's very good at what it does. It's fast. It's clean. It's just a great place to go. And I, that's so funny that you said that because you could go to like the Cheesecake Factory, which is very overwhelming and has 10,000, like a menu of 40 pages. But I agree with this adding and adding and adding and adding a value is it overwhelms people. And I think something interesting that you mentioned in the book is if people don't have like a clear idea of what to do next, if they're given too many options and they're given almost too much information in the beginning, they're going to get overwhelmed and confused and shut down. And they need to know where they are in this journey and they need to know like how to go through this journey. In the association world, it's pretty common to have a welcome email for new members. And that one mm-hmm. e- email very often is a list. It's a list of the association's 37 different benefits, oh. right? And the assist- <laughs> and so 
So, you know, put yourself into a new member's shoes. They see the list of 37 different benefits and they think, I don't have time to look at these benefits and I don't have time to decipher what, you know, applies to me and what I can use. And now you've actually just sort of clicked the switch in their brain that says dealing with this organization is going to take me a lot of time. (laughs) Right. And, And so there's, you know, there's a way to do onboarding where you're, where you're essentially just saying, hi, welcome. Hey, here's a one minute video. Hi, welcome. Here's a two minute article. And you sort of, you know, you over time, you queue up your greatest tips and they're, they're able to read your email in just a couple of seconds. And they dive into, you know, a link that you send them that takes a minute or two. And they start getting excited about what you're sending them and it doesn't take them much time, but it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit of value and you're writing it at a tone that's so warm. They feel like, you know, they already belong and, and that's the way to do it. That actually really translates well into like how we treat our new donors, because I feel the same way. Sometimes I'll get an email that will list the 97 different programs that I'm supporting. But if I just received an email that said, What you did is very significant. Here's a 30 second, one minute welcome video from the executive director. Here's a story that would be enough just to keep me inspired and keep me interested. But we tend to want to throw all this information at people because we tend to think information is the way to go. But people want that feeling. They want that feeling of being inspired, knowing they're in the right place, knowing they did the right thing by joining, by donating even just by signing up for an email list, even something as simple as that. This is giving me some really great ideas because I run courses. I do a lot of webinars and courses. I have an email list and I'm thinking I'm guilty of this as well. (laughs) Trying to constantly add value, add value, add information, add information and, you know, simplifying and focusing on that question. How do you want people to feel? It really helps me kind of distill down everything. It's not, what do you want people to know? It's how do you want people to feel? And I absolutely love that. Yeah, absolutely. I love people to think about that. And Mm -hmm. and so it's hard to tell people like, oh, here's how you will feel here. You know, if you come to my, here's how you will feel. Right. So you can definitely, you know, you want to give them a little bit of information, a little taste, but then in the tone and then in the way you're writing the email, you evoke feeling because of the way their email is written. Exactly. So can you share um, one or two of your favorite examples of member engagement? You were talking about how an older camper will greet a younger camper at a sleepaway camp. And Mm -hmm. so I conducted a piece of research called the New Member Engagement Study with Mm -hmm. my partners at Dynamic Benchmarking. It's actually a quantitative survey, and we had 307 association leaders weigh in on that. And and so it's all about the habits of new member onboarding. And a Mm. lot of these things translate to, you know, new donor onboarding and all of that. We surveyed 14 tactics for onboarding new members. And one of those is very similar to what you were talking about. And it was about having welcoming teams or new member ambassador programs. I love the way people are changing their onboarding programs because this was not a thing four years ago. But now what I'm seeing with um, in the association community is people are tasking longtime members with welcoming new members. So it could be a phone call. They might be standing around registration. 
which is an- another great way to do it. If you've With a ribbon that says like, ask me about or something. I've seen that. Yes. Or they're, or they're taking the initiative to walk through the line. Right. So, you know, in some conferences, the registration lines are, oh, right. you know, they're, they're out the door. And yeah. so people are walking through those lines and they're just talking to people and it makes all of the impact in the world. It's, it's really important. Now, there's another way to do this virtually, and that is if you're having like a, a new member orientation program or something like that, have chat ambassadors. And I love chat ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So, you, so if I'm the speaker, I love having chat ambassadors. And I'll say to them, hey, you know, try to energize the chat. Welcome people by name. Welcome. You know, if you see a name pop up for an attendee, you don't know. Welcome them by name. If you hear me say something that's important, you can repeat it in the chat. If you hear me say something that you've got a question about, ask questions in the chat, raise up other people's questions. So whether you're in person or whether you're online, there's so many ways to, you know, engage and energize and and connect with your community. Absolutely. (laughs) That's so great. I think that chat ambassadors and enlivening virtual events having people there to to make it a little bit more lively and make it feel like a live event and not just a recording or a static, just kind of a static, boring virtual presentation. That's a great idea. So where should small nonprofits start first? If they're thinking, oh my gosh, we already have so much on our plate. How can we fit this into the work we're already doing? One of the easiest things you can just do is is smile, you know? And <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some, you're right. If there's, you know, one person welcoming 150 people at a registration table, you've got to get those badges out there into people's hands. So just, just smile and say hi to everybody. Just remember to smile. That's, you know, one thing. And then the other thing that the homework that I like to assign myself is whenever mm-hmm. I'm out there in the world and I'm going to my favorite pizza place or I'm going to the dry cleaner around the corner, going to all of these places where I know they don't have a lot of budget. I just, I watch, I watch what they're doing well and I watch what they're not doing well. And I think about how to apply what they're doing well back to my context. And then I think about what they're not doing well and trying to make sure that I'm not doing that in my business. Being an observer of life and being like a detective. I always tell my clients and nonprofits that I work with to look at the world like a journalist, you know, think about what's the story, what's the angle, what's interesting. What can you kind of take away from the things that you're seeing? But, oh, that's just fantastic. Because we so often don't pay attention to that. We really only pay attention a lot of the times to bad experiences. And I've been guilty of this. And I don't often pay attention to good experiences or exceptional experiences that I have day to day. So that's a fantastic piece of homework. So where can people find out more about you, Amanda? Uh, Where are you online? Where can people connect with you? Yep, you can search Amanda Lee Kaiser. So Amanda, and my middle name is a little weird. It's Mm L-E-A and then KaiserLikeTheRole.com. So you can search my name or or search for my website. And then on Amazon and all online retailers, you can find Elevating Engagement. Yes. uh, Yeah, super quick you know, two, two and a half hour read, but it is a power packed book of ideas. Fantastic. And I put all of the links in the show notes. Hopefully a lot of you will be lucky enough to see a keynote or a talk from Amanda um, in your hometown or at a conference soon. So yeah, thanks again for being on the show and for giving us so much inspiration and great ideas. Thank you, Julia. This was so much fun to talk to you. 
Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Thank you.